applying God's Word to every aspect of life. This is Theology Applied. Hi, this is Pastor Joel Webin with Right Response Ministries. This is another episode of Theology Applied, where our whole goal in this podcast is um, to help Christians not only salute the inerrancy of the Word of God, not just recognizing and acknowledging God's authority through His Word, uh, but the sufficiency of God's word, uh, realizing that um, that all of the scripture needs to be applied to all of life. And so it's very fitting. Our guest uh, for today, we have Dr. Ben Merkel, who is the son-in-law of Doug Wilson. And the, the whole saying, kind of mission statement that they've had there in Moscow where they live with the church and with the school and all these different things is all of Christ for all of life. We want to take the whole Christ uh, and his authority executed through the agency of the Word, so all of Christ, all of the Bible, all of His Word, and apply it to all of life, not just, you know, Jesus, Lord of my heart, not just um, applying the Scripture to church and the home and parenting, but but politics and uh, media and entertainment and vocation. And today, our episode is education. So we're going to be looking at what the Bible says about education, the importance, the significance but then also getting really practical and uh, how to apply um, a Christian worldview and and the sufficiency of Scripture in the way that we educate. And so um, we have Dr. Ben Merkel. Uh, He is the president of New St. Andrews College. And um, I'm going to let him take a moment right here from the outset and introduce anything else, Ben, that you might want to share about yourself. That's a great introduction. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, Enjoy your ministry and your church and uh, look forward to our conversation here. Great. All right. Thanks for coming on. So first thing that I want to ask a little bit personal, but just people getting to know you some um, for you, when and how did you first get interested in uh, being an educator? What got you excited about education? Well, you know, it was, it was kind of a multi-step process. So it started um, uh, during my undergraduate, uh, I was at university of Idaho and um, I was taking a lot of chemistry classes, but I didn't really like chemistry. Um, and it was during my time at the U of I that I really felt like I had a heart for going into ministry of some sort. And virtually every pastor I knew was a teacher. Um, and so I got a secondary education degree in chemistry, thinking that that was the way you got yourself ready to be a pastor. I know I did not really ask for any advice or counsel or anything. It just seemed like that's what pastors did. Um, I started, as soon as I graduated, I um, came on staff with the local church here doing evangelistic work to the University of Idaho, leading Bible studies, going in and speaking to fraternities and doing that sort of thing. Um, But during that time, um, New St. Andrews College started, and I was doing pastoral training through our church. Greyfriars Hall had just started, and I was the very first Greyfriars student. And uh, so... I was doing uh, ministerial training and New St. Andrews started and Doug Wilson, my father-in-law, asked me if I would TA a class for him, which I, I did. And uh, it's kind of a long, long series of events. But one of the things that I noticed was that my um, the the impact that I was having on the students in my classes versus the impact that I was having in my Bible studies on the U of I campus it was really interesting that it was in the context of education that I was seeing their souls opened up and and people were ready to do a deep dive into what they actually thought. And I started to see that I was having a more profound impact on um, 
in discipling them and mentoring them and whatnot through education than I was just in my normal pastoral work. And so that just got me intrigued and I threw myself more and more at it and saw it blessed more and more as an outlet where there's something about those years from 18 to 22, 23, and that first moment when you've left home and you're out on your own for the first time, there's something really significant that happens there and it happens in those classes that shapes lives in a really profound way. And I found that that was just something I wanted to be involved in. That's cool. Yeah. So just massive amount of influence at a very, a very uh, pivotal time in people's lives and just realizing it it really is significant. Yep. Okay. So let me go ahead and just get right into it. Um, Our topic for today, we've titled it Christian education and the myth of neutrality, Christian education and the myth of neutrality. So I think a good question for us to start with is, uh, what is the difference and is there a difference between Christians in education versus a Christian education? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And I think, you know, I feel really strongly about the necessity of a Christian education, but I think there's, there's a distinction to make there because um, I think that parents owe their children a Christian education at the same time, I know that there are people working in the public secular school system who are Christians that are trying to do their best to make an impact where they are. And I um, I don't want to necessarily say that they're in sin for their job, but I do think that parents really need to focus on giving their children a Christian education. And and one of the, the differences between those two, you, you've, you've set up two things that are kind of opposed to one another. Um, or, or at least could be opposed to one another. And I think that you need to dive into that a little bit and define the difference really between uh, Christian education and then uh, the secular version where Christians might be a part of that, but it's not a, um, it's not a coherent Christian education that's being given over there. Um, I think that there's a slowly dividing, but, but something is creating a massive divide between two different takes on what education is. Whereas there's there's from a Christian perspective, we have um, the obligation to teach our children um, to love God with all their heart, soul and mind to pass this faith on to them and to teach them to see the world in the light of Scripture. You you um, in unpacking our church's mission statement, that's a good description of this idea that we want to root our children in the word and then teach them that that word is a foundation on which they can stand and and see or maybe a lens through which they can see the whole world and that's a very deep um discipleship that happens and when you're doing that kind of work you're tending to work on um the big picture questions the sort of why am i here what is life about what is beauty what is goodness you're, you're wrestling with questions that have to do with the transcendent standard that we live under. So we have a God whose character has shaped this whole world. And when you're in that kind of education, you're, you're understanding, you're looking to God's character, you're unpacking that, you're understanding what his character is like, and then you're taking that down into this world and you're starting to see this world in light of that transcendent standard. And so then that, that sets you up for um, arguments where you are trying to deduce this, the, um, the laws of logic that, that God has revealed to us uh, via his word, but also through his law written on our heart, natural revelation. It's, it's this law that we see from him that we then interpret the rest of the world in. And we can have lots of arguments where, um, 
you know, I have this standard. How is that consistently applied in all of these different areas? That's one way of thinking about education. That's not at all what any of our current schools are doing. Our current schools are far more oriented towards um, imparting uh, very basic vocational skills. Uh So you're trying to teach people how to use Excel, how to use, how to code, how to write, whatever. You're teaching them very specific um, vocational skills. And to the extent that there's anything larger worldview about it, it's a lot of indoctrination in a very God-hating kind of um, uh, philosophy. But it doesn't look to any sort of transcendent standard. Um, you'll see things like, um, uh, well, have, have you noticed that like over the last, say, two years, how many conversations have you seen between two people who um, – have very different perspectives, come from two very different worlds, and have two ideologies that are very opposed to them, and yet they were able to have a very clear and calm and rational conversation where they recognize, yes. None. (laughs) So that doesn't exist anymore because we don't teach people that anymore. What you see is the venting of emotion. You see the attempt to manipulate the system in in, in a way where I can be the one who's the victim you're trying to trump each other with those kinds of sort of childish maneuvers and basically a lot of screaming and obscenity. That's all of our public discourse now because we've lost our ability to have this other kind of conversation. Um, so so when you – I think that you can have somebody who's teaching you a vocational skill, and I, obviously you need to learn vocational skills. You don't need to have – you know, if somebody's teaching you how to um, drive a truck um, – and they're showing you how to shift gears, you know, they could be Muslim or they could be Jewish or they could be Trinitarian and it still is okay. Like there, there's some basic fundamental skills, but you lose all of that other larger um, um, perspective. And when you reduce education to just those skills, well, you lose the ability to have any of these kinds of conversations. And so one of the things I've been trying to point people out, point out to people is that we think that um, education is just about vocational skills. Like you go to school so you can get a job. If you don't get that kind of degree, you won't be able to get a job. I want to point out that when you when you sure when you get a vocational degree, you can get a job. But when you raise an entire generation that has no education, mm-hmm. but they only have vocational skills, you can't have an, you can't even have an economy. Yeah. So, so we, we're currently yeah. living in a world where everything is shut down. We're burning our towns. Right. We, right. we, um, all common sense is gone and we're destroying, looting and pillaging yeah. all of it. We might all have vocational skills, but we don't have any education. And when you ignore the education and jump to the vocational skill, you do get that job in a very short sighted way, but you lose your entire economy just a little while after that. And I think that's the tension that we, we need to see. Yeah, I think that's really good. If, if I had a dollar for every single time I heard leaders, even in the church, say, hey, we're going to have a conversation about some kind of controversial topic like race, but it's never actually a com- conversation. What they mean by that is we're going to have an echo chamber that that everybody here already holds the same view. And it's you're right. It's it's kind of it's just this power play. And I think you know, we're, we're reacting. I think our culture is reacting to, well, the, the oligarchy or those people who were in positions of power, um, they always got to be right. 
And now yeah. we're and now all we've really done though is we've just shifted the narrative. So now there's a new position of power, namely the victim, the person who is powerless. By your powerlessness, you now have power. But but neither one considers what's most important, which is regardless of 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 the position of power or or power that comes by being powerless. Uh, what really matters is but who's right? What's truth? What what is? And but there is everything. There is no objective truth anymore because we've rejected God's standard. We've rejected the standard of truth. So yeah, I, I completely agree. Talk to us a little bit about, cause I've heard you, heard you speak on this before. And I think it's super helpful. I think a lot of Christians, part of the reason why they feel like, Oh, I don't have to homeschool my kids or I, th- our kids don't have to receive a Christian, you know, education. We can send them to public school or, or, or any, any kind of alternative. I think part of the thinking there is um, in terms of they, they still kind of are holding on to what, what I would consider, I know you would also, the myth of neutrality. They, they think, that, they think that, um, that there actually exists some realm where you can be taught, right? So you kind of alluded to this a little bit about like being a truck driver and there just being some very practical skills that can be taught by the Muslim or an atheist or a Christian. Um, but, but when it comes to math and English and literature and science, um, I know you would disagree in those subjects, but there still seem to be a lot of Christian parents that think that neutrality actually exists where they, they can send their kids outsource education and they can be taught by someone something that is not Christian, but it's also not opposed to Christ. Um, what, where does that come from? And is, is neutrality in education, is that a myth? Am I right about that? No, I, I, I completely agree with you. And I would even push it and say, even to a certain extent, the, the truck driver and the plumber need to have a Christian view of their discipline. Yeah. And I think that there's something uh, unique and distinctive about approaching these things from a Christian perspective. But there, it has to do with um, um, there, there, there always has to be a why. You, you, you always have to have um, – you have to ultimately be able to explain the why. Why does two plus two equal four? Why? And 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 there and within the Christian worldview, you're you're able to put that on the bedrock foundation of who God is and the world that He has made. Now we believe in um, because I'm a Christian and because I read my Bible. One of the things the Bible tells me is that God's law is written on the heart of all men, yeah. and that God's attributes can be perceived even right. by the unregenerate right. um, through natural revelation. Yeah. So I believe that there is a natural law and a law of God written on the heart of those who are outside of Christ, and therefore there are things that I can that that I can learn from them that they understand this world in, in real and true ways. But that only makes sense ultimately because the God of the Bible is true. And and um, what you find is that um, everything always leans and, and moves towards consistency over time. Yeah. There, are, um, there are inconsistencies that you can have in your life that over time will work themselves out and will reconcile themselves into a consistency. Um, yeah. You know, I'm <laughs> looking at today's uh, news of Jerry Falwell and uh, what was what's going on there. You, you have all these crazy things that are coming out. And one of the things you find is that you can hold on to things that are contradictions, that are, con- that are hypocrisies for a little bit of time. But there is this um, 
you know, my father-in-law would describe it as like somebody who's trying to sit on a beach ball underneath the surface of the water. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can hold it down there for a time, but sooner or later, it, you know, it shoots up right. over here. And the Christian's and, job is to poke their arms. What do you got there? What do you got there? Right? Exactly. Yeah. And so, so um, I think an education, um, you know, even the public school system, you could go back 50 years and you could go to a public school and somebody with my convictions would say, that's a bad idea. You need something that's explicitly Christian. But somebody who was at a public school 50 years ago could be excused for saying, you know, you say that, but this seems pretty good. Um, and I would say, no, no, it needs to be explicitly on God's word. because And and sooner or later, this inconsistency will come out. Right. So over the last 50 years, what we've seen is that public education getting worse and worse. And you'll have even parents now, like I see this when I'm talking to parents about sending their kids off to college, they'll say, I'll say, look, you know, the secular college is God hating and blah, blah, blah. And they'll say, yeah, I hear you say that. But I remember when I went to college and it was God hating, but there was also a lot of really good about it. And it was actually where I became a Christian and on and on. And and um, and what they don't realize is that that was 20 years ago. Right. The, the college campus of today is so different. But the college campus of today was is consistent with that college campus right. of 20 years ago. Right. It's one long trajectory that over time it's going to become more and more consistent with itself. And so um, there are plenty of areas where I don't have a problem dipping my foot in that water because I know it's, I know that um, this book is inconsistent with God's word, but there's some stuff in here that's really useful, but I want to be really careful and conscious of the fact that over time that inconsistency is going to come out and it is going to destroy it. And I think that we are really, really short sighted when we think that particularly with where the schools are now that we can, hand our children over to that and not have that have a catastrophic effect on yeah. their lives. I completely agree. I, it's, I think of music, you know, I think we're just hardwired because we're made in the image of God because of natural law, natural revelation. We can't, human beings cannot sit well with dissonance, right? We want, we want to resolve the notes. You got to do one or the other. And, and because of the doctrine of total depravity, because the heart of man, apart from regeneration, as, as you referenced, is opposed to God, not just neutral, but Romans 8 says hostile towards God. It does not submit to his law, nor can it. Because of that that disposition in the heart of man being opposed to God, and because of being, so in terms of total depravity, there's an opposition towards God. So that's not a viable option. We cannot submit to his law. But because of the Imago Dei, we also can't really sit with inconsistency or dissonance. We want to resolve, but the resolution is always going to work away from God, apart from new hearts. So we're, so we're going to have to resolve. We can't live in this inconsistency. We're going to have to pick one or the other. But because the heart of man, apart from regeneration, is opposed to the things of God, because they're spiritually discerned, and because he's hostile towards God, he's in, at enmity with God, because of all those things, there's just going to be this natural, apart from a Christian education, apart from a Christian worldview, and, and really, ultimately, apart from regenerate hearts, it's really not if, it's just when. It's a matter of time. There's, there's going to be this constant downstream towards not order, and God, but chaos. And I, and I think of that. I think of Darwinism. I, I think Doug said this, but I think of Darwinism being taught for decades in the public school system. And now all of a sudden, it's like, all right, we, we, want, 
we want revolution. We, we want to change things and, and we want to make them better. And what's the immediate default strategy among young people coming out of public school systems uh, taught Darwinism? Uh, the, the, the strategy is, well, let's burn it all down. It's like, but that doesn't fix anything. But it does for the Darwinian because, yeah. because if you just do chaos, well, what comes out of chaos according to Darwinism, according to evolution? Order. Whereas the Christian yeah. worldview would say, if you want to fix things, you can't burn it. You can't go to chaos because chaos produces nothing. We, we believe in, in God who is a God of order. And, and so even that, it's like we maybe don't draw the connections. But my point is, I think, you know, the, the riots and, and burning down cities and defunding police, um, you look at that and you think, oh, like this is this is silly, but it, it's actually not. It, it actually is, I think, the culture trying to resolve the dissonance. It's picking a lane. It's, it's, no, I think that that's really true. Consistency. Yeah. And I, I, um, so actually, I just did our last, um, on Friday, we have a weekly disputatio, and I gave our first disputatio talk. And I, um, I based a lot of that on a quote from, um, Lewis in that hideous strength. Mm-hmm. And he makes this observation that I think is really profound where he says, uh, I think it's his character, Dimble, who, who says this. He says that um, he's just kind of pontificating to his wife. And he, he says, have you noticed that the world is always sharpening and coming to a point? Mm-hmm. The, the world is always getting narrower and pointier. Yeah. And there yeah. is something about um, as we grow up, it seems like every day God takes the world that we lived in yesterday mm-hmm. And he puts it in front of us today and he divides it in half and he says, pick which one you want, mm, you know, and, and, and we, and we need to pick faithfulness. And then, and then he does that again tomorrow. Yes. And, and it's funny because there are, um, there are friends that you had 10 years ago that you could not fellowship with now because right. God matured you and he's yeah. growing you more and more faithful and, and for you to grow up is for you to choose the half that God wants you to choose. Wow. And and it's not to say that um, 20 years ago you were disobedient for being where you were, but God keeps wanting you to grow up and he mm. keeps making you right choices. And I, my observation of the students was just pointing out like how over history, you know, you look at um, you look at King David, godly, righteous, righteous man. And we know he stumbled with Bathsheba and everything, but even if you were to go before that and we were, if I was to take King David and put him on the stage, you know, right now we would be looking at a man who is a complete barbarian who has a multitude of wives. One right. of whom he, he won by, um, with a necklace of Philistine foreskins. Um, <laughs> right. it wouldn't fly now. Like, yeah. like we need to grow up. We need to, we need to mature from that. And every year God is going to ask you to get sharper. And, and I say this because, I think that 20, 30, 40 years ago, Christian education felt like a principle that certain men were was they were advocating this principle because of things, you know, peculiar convictions that they had, whatever. But it seemed like it was an option and you could go, you know, in any number of different directions. We're see where we are now. We see that the peculiar convictions that these guys had were actually not that peculiar, but were actually some really, really incisive foresight Mm -hmm. who saw the way this thing was going, who understood the ground that we needed to seize now, 
and that that option is no longer much of an option and the world is divided in half and you need to pick which one and 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 whichever one you pick one's going to endure and preserve the other one's going to fall off yeah um and and so i think we have to be really decisive right now that's so helpful you i mean that's helpful for our listeners, but that was really helpful for me. I feel like you just kind of made sense of the last 10 years of my life when you gave that that illustration of like, it's like every day. I, I've never put it into that kind of language. It, it, that was just very helpful for me. Every day, it's like the Lord, he takes the world you were living in the day before and he divides it in half and says, pick one. And the way you related that even to friendships, right? They're like Because I, I, I think that is just the experience of anyone who's actively and faithfully following Jesus. And that's certainly been my experience that there are people who right now it's like, yeah, we, I mean, we just, we, we don't have the relationship that, that we once had. And it's like, what happened? Cause five years ago, it's like, we saw eye to eye on everything, but the reality is we saw eye to eye on everything because in that state, that degree yeah. of maturity that, that I was at five years ago, um, I just didn't see as much. So it's like if you're only seeing 10 things, well, it's a lot easier that just the 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 laws of average uh, to see 10 things the same way with somebody else. It's a lot more likely than to see 100 things the same way as somebody else. And so it's just as we continue following Jesus and he begins to reveal to us from his word, both, well, really both in special revelation from his word, but also in general revelation by what's around us and making sense of his world according to his rules for his world. Um, again and again and again, we're just seeing more. And the more and more we see, the less and less likelihood um, that, that we're going to share all that in common with everybody else. And so it's as we pursue Christ, it's it's like our relationships get fewer but deeper. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's like, um, you know, Jesus says, to whom much is given, much is required. And, and and what happens is every day you get just a little more inheritance from him. Mm-hmm. Well, that inheritance it, it demands more of you, but but the thing is, um, you know. Well, if I continue on with that talk, one of the things I noted was if, if you take that analogy and you run with it a little bit too long, it starts to feel like um, it, it starts to feel like well, it, it feels very negative because it feels like um, are you like sitting on a uh, a shipwrecked boat? And like every day, half of the boat like breaks off and falls away and sinks, right. you know, and so you've got to keep. So so by the end of your life, you're going to be just on this little one plank that's left right. or something yeah, yeah. that sounds negative. But what Jesus tells us is that, um, he, you know, he, he gives us that analogy of um, the one, the disciple who chooses Christ over um, brother or sister mm-hmm. or wife or family or wealth or so you, you choose Christ over each of these things, he says that you will receive a hundred times that back yeah. and eternal life. Yeah. And so what's, what you find is, is that, that God is stripping things away from you. Mm. But as he strips things away from you, you find that something a hundred times bigger emerges and, uh, and with eternal life plunked on top of that. And so it's not you getting narrower. It's actually, it's the miracle of the gospel that, when you when you let go of something, he, you find that he gives you that thing back multiplied by a hundred. Mm-hmm. And that's just the way Jesus loves to work, right? Like yeah. it's always, you want to go to the front of the line, go to the back of the line. You want right. to be at the top, go to the bottom. You want to be the master, go be the servant. Mm-hmm. You want to have all of these things. Well, then let go of all of these things. Yeah. And you get them all back multiplied by a hundred. And that's yeah. just the way the gospel works. And so you do get massively richer. You get mm-hmm. so much richer 
by doing that spiritually, possibly physically, possibly not, but you you definitely get so much richer uh, spiritually through all of that. Wow, that I mean, I, I feel kind of surprised. That, that edified me. I, I didn't know our conversation would go that direction, but that was so good for. I hope it's good for our listeners. Maybe it's just me. Maybe that's just something God's been doing in my heart recently. But that was really, really encouraging for me to hear. Um, let, let's shift gears now uh, as we kind of wrap up. Maybe if we could just get five more minutes um, of your time. But could you talk a little bit about? Um, we talked about Christian education. We've talked about a Christian worldview. But um, I, I know that. Um, you're involved in classical education. And uh, even for myself, so my, my sister is a teacher at Cambridge um, here in San Diego, and, and I know they've taken some cues from, um, from the, uh, the K through 12 school that you guys have there in Moscow. But uh, New St. Andrews, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's also, a, it's not just a Christian university, a Christian college, but it's classical. Uh, what, what is that? What is a classical education? Uh, and w- why is that important? Yeah, so the classical classical Christian education was um, it kind of exploded here. It started in 1981 with Logos School, and then it kind of took off across the whole U.S. and now the world. Um, you have a lot of ACCS schools, SCL schools, and then it's uh, jumped over into the homeschooling world, classical conversations, yeah. and a number of homeschoolers use curriculum in one stripe or another that uses classical. So that was originally a K-12 movement. And then New St. Andrews College was started as a college that tends to pull primarily from kids who come out of that classical education. And there is, um, well, there's a whole lot to say about what is classical. Um, but let me let me give you my really quick summary. Um, I described earlier that um, contrast between looking at education as being designed to impart a particular vocational skill versus education looking to understand who God is, and who this world is in light of him. Right. Classical is basically reflecting back on what is the classical tradition, a long tradition that went throughout, um, really derived from the early church um, and uh, through the medieval era into the 16th, 17th century. There was a process of education that classical education, as it began here in 1981, was an attempt to recover some of the elements of that tradition And the goal is to, instead of going straight to vocational skill, but it's instead trying to actually train the the mind uh, itself at a more fundamental level. So to use an illustration from, uh, if you remember, like in the 1980s, when you were getting your computer, you would, you could get your, your, um, your tower, but then um, you know, as, as kids, we always wanted like the graphics card or the, the speaker or the, 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 um, you know, some sort of in- impressive screen or whatever. But it, you could have all of these accessories, but if your actual processor couldn't support it, right. it was dumb. Yeah. Um, you needed a powerful processor to, to run everything else. Mm-hmm. Think of classical education as aimed at that processor itself. So it's looking at what now in the workforce is now referred to as the, the soft skills. It's the mm-hmm. skills that are a little bit closer to the heart, the mind, the soul, and it has to do with your ability to do critical thinking, your ability to um, communicate with clarity, um, to be able to speak and to write, to be able to get up and argue and not be flustered, mm-hmm. to be able to be given a, a huge stack of uh, assignments to go home and know how to, on your own, figure out how to work through this and logically you know, you know break it down work through it all, come away with a coherent understanding of it, be able to interact with others uh, on that subject. 
it's not any one of the professional skills, but it's these soft skills that um, it's interesting in the workforce. Now you get a lot of kids that come with their vocational skills, but they don't have common sense. They don't know right. how to write. They don't know how to speak. They could code, but they don't know how to make eye contact. It's, right. it's, um, right. so it's the stuff that's a little bit closer to home in, in the, the, the mind of the person, but then it's connecting that to their understanding of who Christ is and who they are in Christ. So that they see the world through the lens of scripture. That's really what classical Christian education is doing. And it has to do with focusing on the ancient arts of logic, grammar, rhetoric, um, and, and, and putting the mind together. It tends to um, privilege the great works of the Western tradition because these tend to be the works that um, bring out that kind, those kinds of intellectual skills, mm-hmm. and um, as well as gives them a sense of um, the, their Christian tradition and the inheritance that they have in Christ. Mm-hmm. That's what the K-12 movement is doing, and it's produced, I think, a really um, incredible product when held up in juxtaposition against most other educations. And I do think it's interesting because when I talk to Christians and I say, okay, as a Christian for a moment, let's speak critically about what's going on in the world of education. And if I'm speaking the world, I'm speaking usually in the world of higher education. Most Christians, their sole um, category for critiquing colleges from a Christian perspective has to do with um, poking holes in the financial system. Um, people going into debt, people um, blowing all kinds of money on a ridiculous, you know, uh, campus experience and whatnot. And there is so much to be said to critique colleges on the financial end. It's just a a complete waste of money. But our critique needs to go a lot deeper than just the financial thing. We need to actually understand what is a uniquely and distinctively Christian education look like at the college level. That's the piece that I don't think we're, we're, um, I don't think we have, which classical education actually has helped us to recover. That's really, yeah, that's really helpful. Would it be fair to say it like, because um, isn't there a piece in classical education that kind of follows the development of a child and, and when they're, so it, would it be fair to say that like grammar, it's kind of like the first third in that K through 12, the first third is like grammar and we're just, we're just memorizing and, and just, we're putting all this information in and then logic. So now it's not the what, but it's the why and how and the how, like how to use all this kind of stuff. And then and then so it's like grammar, logic and then rhetoric and, and how to and now it's how to persuade, how, how to um, how, how to disagree without needing a safe space, you know, or being triggered. It's, so is, is that is that fair to say grammar is, is that the right order, I guess? Because you mentioned those three things. But is it grammar, logic and rhetoric? And does that actually follow the development of of a person? I've heard that before. Is that true? I think that's a really important part. So um, I I mentioned this started here in 1981. There was a essay written by Dorothy Sayers. I think it was in the, in the 1940s that she called the lost tools of learning. And she, she structured what you just described as a kind of experimental thing where she said, look, let's take this medieval system and break it down like this. Wouldn't this be a really interesting thing to try? My father-in-law, being the kind of uh, rare bird that would say, "Well, let's do that. Let's try." Mm -hmm. Um, She he he uh, he began Logos School and and structured it along those lines and doing exactly that, taking advantage of the natural proclivities of kids who are you know eight years old to memorize 
the precocious nature of your junior hire who wants to argue, teaching them the actual laws of argument, the weird sudden insecurities that afflict your high school student, that they suddenly become so concerned with how they come across and how other people think of them, that that actually is what rhetoric is about and that teaching them here are the here's the art of rhetoric and the art of persuasion and here's how you control how you come across that it takes advantage of the natural development of the student mm-hmm. i'm uh, as a father of five kids i have three that are now here at nsa and two that are at logos school that very first classical christian school and and it's just been so fun watching their little developmental stages coincide with this curriculum, making them just come alive. It's just a blast. That's really cool. Well, thanks, Ben, so much. This has been uh, really helpful for me personally. Uh, I hope it's helpful for our listeners. Um, For those who are listening to this episode or will uh, be listening once we air it, and they want to find you and follow you, keep up with some of the things you're doing, learn some more from you, um, how can they find you? How, How can they follow you? Well, definitely check out the New St. Andrews webpage as well as the NSA uh, Facebook page. Those are the best places to see what we're up to. Uh, I think you were about to segue to our our, our after hours conversation right. and those that will be about some things that, that showed up on our NSA uh, Facebook page. Okay, great. Um, so real quick, so we have some bonus questions just to kind of uh, begin to spark the appetite of our listeners. These are for our responders, our club members. Um, if you're not a responder yet, please become a responder. We're building a bonus reel of um, a lot of great kind of behind the scenes uh, questions being answered by our guest on this podcast, Theology Applied. So here are the two questions I'm going to be asking Ben for our our after hours conversation. So the first one is, uh, that I've heard New St. Andrews has been under fire for a particular video advertisement that they aired recently. And so kind of getting a, a behind-the-scenes um, scoop on that and kind of the really just the controversy and the push back and forth between the, the college there and uh, and those in, in, in the civil authorities in Moscow. And the second question I'm going to ask him in our bonus reel is uh, what what is kind of... Um, a behind-the-scenes look at being the son-in-law of Doug Wilson. Doug Wilson is an incredibly faithful man, but he's known by many in the evangelical world as being controversial. And so I thought it would be really interesting to hear Ben uh, talk about, um, from a, a closer-to-home perspective, what it's like to be a part of his family. Maybe the Doug, the, the side of Doug that we uh, we common folk don't get to see. So uh, tune back in with us. Um, become a responder. Check out the bonus reel with those two questions. And thanks again so much, Ben, for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to Right Response Ministries. As a reminder, all of our resources should only be used as a supplement and not a substitute for the local church. Be sure to check out our website, rightresponseministries.com, or download our free app. There you can find out how to join our team by supporting us monthly as a responder. As a responder, you will receive a Soli Deo Gloria t-shirt and a physical copy of Pastor Joel's book, Am I Truly Saved? Also, you'll receive an ongoing 10% discount on all items in the store, as well as access to free digital copies of all current and future books in the store. Thank you for your generous support.